be sure to thank uh, Maggie and Jocelyn for leading us in our responsive reading and the team in this um, wonderful worship time. Now, um, I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Lord, you are good and you are gracious and you are Lord over all. And as we worship you, and have the privilege to enter your throne room and to join with the seraphim and the elders and the hosts of angels and all of creation in singing praise and thanksgiving and adoration to you. We pray that it has been pleasing to you. Now, Lord, as we open up your word, we pray that we might worship you through it. We ask for your spirit to bring a special understanding to our minds and our hearts, Lord. That truth that we need to hear for ourselves today, that truth that will bring a light that will shine into our hearts, into our minds, and help us, Lord, to become uh, the newer creation that you make us to be each day so that we can become more and more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, well, the kids are with us today, and I need two of them to help me preach the sermon. Who wants to help me preach the sermon? Both of you? You got it. I don't see anybody else jumping up. Come on up. Okay, so who are you? Dylan. You're Dylan? What's your last name, Dylan? PC. PC. And how old are you? Eight. Eight. I thought you were going to say 38 for a minute there. And you are? Delilah PC. Delilah PC. And how old are you? Turning 11 on Thursday. Whoa. Happy birthday. Now, um, I need a timekeeper. Which one of you wants to be a timekeeper? Okay. We'll do it again. Which one of you wants to be a timekeeper? You got it. Okay. So here's what you're going to do, Dylan. Okay. When I say start, you'll press that button start. And when it gets to 15 up here, 15 seconds, okay. you yell stop. Okay? So you got that. You hold it right there. Now I got to explain a little bit to Delilah here. Delilah, I have all these colored buttons on this place over here. And the object of this experiment is for you to move those buttons, as many as you can, onto this plate. But you can only pick them up one at a time, and you can only use one hand. Okay? One hand, one at a time. And oh, by the way, you're going to do it with gratitude. So I want you to tell everybody you're grateful for those buttons. Wait, wait. Go ahead and tell them. I'm grateful for these buttons. Okay. Okay. Now, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready, Dylan? Yes. Okay. Go. Stop. Okay. Now we got to count these buttons. Good job. 
really good job on that. Let me reset that. Hold on one second. Okay. Dylan, you count how many buttons are there there? Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. 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 That's more than one a second. Wow. Okay, Dylan, why don't you pick up the clock? I'm going to need you to work it again. And get all those in there. All right. Now this time, Delilah. <coughs> You're going to pick up those buttons, but you're not going to be grateful for them. Okay? So I want you to tell everybody you're not grateful for the buttons. I'm not grateful for these buttons. Okay, now, the same thing goes, you've got to pick them up one at a time with one hand. Which hand do you use, left or right? Right? Okay, hold on. Duct tape. God invented duct tape. Did you know that? Okay. What I need you to do is put your thumb in your hand. Great. And you're not allowed to use your thumb because you're not grateful for those buttons. And I want you to pick up as many as you can with one hand in 15 seconds, not using your thumb. Okay. Ready? Go. Okay. Let's count those buttons now. Twelve. Pretty good. She wasn't supposed to get that many. But, let me take that duct tape off your hand. See if I can take your thumb with it. No. Okay, so, let me ask you a question, both of you. Which one was better? With or without your thumb? With. With. With or without? With. Okay, so you could actually do more and be able to accomplish more, right? Using your thumb than without it. With gratitude rather than without it. And the object lesson today is exactly that. And they're helping to introduce the big idea that Thanksgiving is what opens our hearts, right, to God so that we can see more, and that we can receive more of his gifts and blessings to us. Thank you so very much. Would you guys uh, tell them? Appreciate that. Okay, the big idea today, the big idea is this. Giving thanks to God for all things frees us up to receive gifts, 
and blessings from God. Conversely, when we have an ungrateful heart toward God, it limits and hinders us from receiving the gifts and blessings of God. Did you get that? Giving thanks to God for all things frees us up to receive the gifts and blessings of God, while conversely, ingratitude toward God limits and hinders us from receiving the gifts and blessings of God. A thankful, grateful heart is able to see, appreciate, and value the gifts of God, while an ungrateful heart is unable to see, ignores, and even devalues the gifts of God. What are those gifts? Well, I'll just name a few. How about life, temporal and eternal? How about forgiveness? That's a gift. What about reconciliation? That's a gift. Truth? That's a gift. Correction or discipline, that's a gift. Redemption, that's a gift. The Holy Spirit, he's a gift. The fruit of the Spirit, which is godly character that he he actually creates in us, that's a gift. The body of Christ, the church, and the support and love and prayers and encouragement and admonishment and uh, correction and accountability, all that goes with the church is a gift. And we're just scratching the surface. We're not even talking about the personal things that God is doing in your life, in your particular circumstances that move even beyond this that are the gifts of God. Well, imagine that this year you have a gift under your Christmas tree, but you decide not to open it and you throw it out. You don't know what you're going to be missing. But I wonder, I wonder. I think sometimes ingratitude is just like that. And we miss the gifts of God. And we don't know how many of those gifts he's packed in that gift for us, do we? Psalm 136 is a psalm of thanksgiving for God's steadfast Loving kindness. The, the Hebrew word there is hesed. And it's translated in the uh, King James as mercy. In other translations, goodness toward others. In the translation we use, the English Standard Version, it is steadfast love. And I'm going to translate it in the way I understand it. Steadfast loving kindness. All of these are true. And the psalmist is giving thanks for God's steadfast loving congregants and inviting the congregation to enter in to that. And in essence, the psalm is broken down this way. In the first, we got the next slide? Yeah. In the first three verses, it is thanking God for who He is. In the next, set of verses, verses 4 through 22. It is thanking God for His great wonders, focusing on creation, deliverance, and inheritance. And in the last section of the psalm, it is an overall thanksgiving for His steadfast loving kindness, verses 23 through 26. We're going to take a minute now to go through those and take a look at what they mean for us. 
The first section is being thankful for who God is. The psalm declares, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. It is natural for all of us to respond when somebody shows goodness toward us and does something good for us to say, thank you. Thanksgiving is natural as a response to kindness shown. But this is not thanks for kindness shown. This is thanks for who God is, for His very existence, because He is good. That is His essential nature. And out of that goodness comes His steadfast loving kindness. Out of that good comes all things. Think of when God created. What did He do after each step of the way? He said, it is good. It is good. It is good. Goodness comes from God to us. Now the name of God that we get in the first verse is the formal name that God gave to the Israelites. It is Yahweh. And the psalmist declares that he is good in his nature, that he is God of God and lords of lords. And he is worthy of our thanksgiving and our adoration. This is why the seraphim and the 24 elders and the hosts of angels and the saints above and the saints below declare their praise of thanksgiving for God extolling his steadfast loving kindness that forever characterizes him. You may say, well, creation, all of creation singing out. Here's something I learned recently that just blew me away. Did you know that the electron shell of a carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as a Gregorian chant? Could the electrons and all the atoms be chanting to God at a level of sound that we don't hear with our ears and yet God can hear it all? All of creation can give thanksgiving to God because He is good and He is the source of all things, His goodness. God in Himself manifests such goodness and steadfast loving kindness that we respond to Him with thanksgiving for who He is, for His very existence. The psalm goes on then and says we should be thankful for His great wonders. That, that word there, wonders, means the supernatural mighty acts of God that could not be credited to anyone else. Or anything else. And in this section, verses 4 through 22, it lines out creation and deliverance and inheritance. And there could have been more, even in terms of these things that the psalmist could have wrote. But he does it in a way that identifies these things. So let me read for you about giving thanks for creation. 
To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. God made the heavens. God made the earth. God made the sun and the moon. And these are undeniable expressions of his steadfast loving kindness. God created them. Now, I don't know what young people are being taught today because science continues to change its opinions and visions of things. But when I was a young adult, Carl Sagan was a great physicist and he would talk about how all of this just came to be. But what Carl Sagan couldn't talk about as a physicist was where did the beginning began. So he would say, the universe always was, us, and ever shall be. That's my impression of him. And you can watch his videos. And when he says that he no longer is a scientist, he has become a theologian. He's talking about the universe in theological terms. But there's no science that backs up that the universe always was or always will be. In fact, today, scientists say that creation came about what? From a huge big bang with a resounding sound that we can't even imagine, an explosion that we can't even imagine, in which all matter was condensed down into this spot and then exploded out and space is rushing away. And from that, God created the heavens and the world and the earth in such a way that life is sustained. There has to be a precious balance going on where there is life. And God created that balance. Scientists today say, we don't know what caused that bang. We don't know what was behind that. Certainly, there must have been a divine intelligence that put order to this universe. What has happened is not chaos, but a great order. And that order is evidence of God. Now you might not know this, but science actually found its beginnings in the church. It was somewhere, I don't know, in the, in the Enlightenment period, when the church started to look for the created order of God and see God in the world, in this physical world. And they began to discern the order of things that were happening in the world. And somewhere along the line, we forgot that there is a divine intelligence ordering this. And science has forgotten its roots. 
But certainly there must have been a divine intelligence. In fact, this is what Paul says to the Romans. For what can be known about God is plain to them. He's talking about ungodly people now. Because God has shown it to them. It doesn't matter whether they've heard the gospel or not. God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. That means in the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The first of all of God's great wonders and his miracles was that he expressed his steadfast loving kindness in the unmistakable existence of creation. Well, then the the psalmist moves on to deliverance. And I'll read those verses from verse 10 through 20. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist goes back to the single most important event in the history of the Israelites as a people. There are individuals and ancestors from which they are descended, which are critically important, and we have records of those in the Bible. But as a people, the single most important event that was foundational for them was the Passover. It was the final plague when the spirit of death came through Egypt, passing over the homes of the Israelites. But the Egyptians, It did not pass over, and it took the life of every firstborn male, of every person and every animal. And the spirit of of death passed over the Israelite homes because they had followed what God had said. They sacrificed a lamb, and they took the blood, and they marked their homes with it so the spirit of death would recognize it. Of course, That blood of the Lamb is a foreshadowing of the blood of the Lamb of God who died on the cross, who took upon himself our sins and the consequence of them in death, and who defeated sin and Satan and death and rose 
from the grave and who brings to us that same victory because he has the power to do so. The account goes on to to say how Pharaoh, broken by this spirit of death, sets the Israelites free. And the Egyptians actually give them from their wealth. Go from us, please. It's too much. But later, after the Israelites leave, Pharaoh calls his army together. He relents, and he intends to destroy Israel, and he pursues them. And God makes a way for them through the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh and his troops follow, what happens next is that they are destroyed. This was the second great wonder that expressed God's steadfast loving kindness to his people. But there is more. There is the inheritance, so important to the Jewish people. We read in verses 21 and 22, and he gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. Of course, he defeated the kings going before the people. And he made a covenant with them. And he led them through the wilderness for 40 years until their faith was strong enough to inherit this gift from God given to them forever, Scripture says. This inheritance, this promised land was described as a land of milk and honey in a wasteland of barren desert. This was the third great wonder that expressed God's steadfast loving kindness to his people. Now the psalmist brings his psalm to a close, summarizing that he is thankful to God for God's steadfast loving kindness. He writes, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. He gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalm expresses thankfulness that God's steadfast loving kindness has expressed itself by God not forgetting about his people nor abandoning them. He remembered them and he rescued them and he cared for them and he provides for them. And because he is God, he provides for all humanity. And why not? He is the God over all. The God of creation. The Lord of lords the God of gods, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, whose steadfast loving kindness never ends.
Sometimes it hurts me so when I see people struggling with God. Especially when they begin to struggle with this overwhelming sense of guilt. A precocious conscience that causes them to condemn themselves when they listen to the voice of the evil one talking in their head, the accuser, Satan as he is known in Revelation, who continues to beat upon God's people. And sometimes we are so involved in theology and we are so worried about His holiness and we forget that God's essential nature is also steadfast love that endures forever. I'm not saying that God isn't holy. I'm not saying there isn't consequences when we sin against God. I'm not saying that we are not going to have to face those consequences. What I am saying, though, is like David, we should be caught up not in our sinfulness. We should admit it and be caught up in God's steadfast, loving kindness. Who willingly and eagerly wants to forgive us and help us to be right. So much so that he took on human form in the person of Jesus, became the Messiah, the Paschal Lamb, who sacrificed his life and shed his blood, that his steadfast loving kindness will cover us no matter what. If you struggle today with that self-condemnation, this is a psalm to remember. To say over and over again how much God's steadfast loving kindness is for you. If you're running away from God, think about what you're running away from, the steadfast loving kindness of God. The psalmist writes about the unchanging God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is deserving of the same thanksgiving that this psalmist writes, that the people of God declared in the temple of God. He still remembers and he still rescues, even us. And he knows that we are vulnerable and he knows we are in desperate need of him. He delivers us from slavery to sin. He delivers us from addictions. He delivers us from oppression. He delivers us from the schemes of the devil. He delivers us from wrong thinking. He delivers us from wrongdoing. He delivers us even from death. And he does this through the gift of his steadfast loving kindness that comes through Jesus, the Messiah, who sacrificed his life shed his blood, died and rose again, that we might live with him. As the Israelites trusted the blood of the Lamb to deliver them, which was a foreshadowing of Christ's blood and sacrifice, so we too who will trust Jesus and his shed blood to save us will be saved. 
And there is a promised land for us, an inheritance as well. God gave that land of milk and honey to the Israelites. It was part of his steadfast loving kindness for them. But God has a rich inheritance for us. Peter said this about it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that inheritance, Jesus said, is the kingdom of God that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And with it comes the promise of eternal life with God as our Father. In Revelation it says, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The Israelites memorized this thanksgiving to God. They memorialized it so that they might never forget about the thanksgiving of God. Why? Because giving thanks to God frees us up to receive the gifts and blessings of God that he wants to give to us. Failing to be grateful to God limits, hinders, and even binds us from seeing and receiving the gifts and blessings of God. The difference between ingratitude and thanksgiving is the same difference between tunnel vision and normal vision. Look up here. This is tunnel vision. This is all you can see. But when you have normal vision, your vision is expanded and you can see what's actually happening, what's actually going along. It is why we read in Scripture, it says in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, it opens up our sight lines so that we can see outside of the tunnel that we find ourselves locked in. We can recognize more of what God is doing and we can appreciate his steadfast loving kindness for us. Almost all of my counseling with people, all I am trying to do is to help them see outside of the tunnel that they're locked up in. To see, if they are a believer, all that God is doing. The possibilities of what God will do. And to get outside of that very small framework that they're locked into. So that they can receive the blessings of God. They can see the way. And what God will use and do for them. And for those who who don't have the Lord, well... Most of my time there is trying to tell them there's a much bigger world. There's a God out there who has an answer. And you won't see all of this until you believe in Jesus. And then you'll be forgiven. And then you'll be given the Holy Spirit. And then 
eyesight will expand. Thanksgiving to God helps us receive the blessings and gifts of God. And here's the thing I want to challenge you to do. Because I know sooner or later, every one of you is going to struggle with something. It's Christmas. How many people struggle at Christmas? Everybody at some level. We all have some dysfunction in our families. Whether it goes back to our families of origin, whether it's in our existing families, we all know the disappointments that come, especially at Christmas time when we want everything to be perfect. But there are other hurts and other pains and other things that will challenge us. And what I want to encourage you to do this week is to write your own psalm of thanksgiving to God. Write down where you're thankful for. I, I spent time thinking about this. And I will do this because I, I thought about many things. I, I thought about bringing it here and reading it to you, but it's private. God has done many great things in my life. The most important of which is his steadfast loving kindness has never failed to be offered to me because he has always been present and never abandoned. And what I want you to do when you're done with your song, all the things you're thankful for, how God, who he is, and and how he delivered you, and what your inheritance is with him. And then I want you to put it in an envelope and put it in a place where you can see the envelope, but you can't see the contents of it. For me, it would be my desk drawer where I work at home. I'm constantly in and out of that drawer. And just leave it right there. And when you feel dark, and when you feel there's a lot of negativity and when you feel a level of depression, when you are looking through that tunnel and can't see it all, I want you to pull out your psalm and I want to invite you to read it. Read it out loud several times until you begin to feel it. And the tunnel vision will go away and you will begin to see the possibility of God's loving, steadfast kindness for you. And then put it away in the same spot and bring it out when you need it again. Remembering the steadfast loving kindness of God will help you to appreciate God, to be able to see and receive all of the expressions, old and new, of his steadfast loving kindness for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the great gift that you've given to us. So many. But most of all, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we consider all that we have to be thankful for, we will remember that you are deserving of our thankfulness even more importantly for who you are than what you've done. But we thank you, Lord, for the great wonders that you do in our lives and that you've done in the life of this church collectively. Father, help us to 
be your people and to walk with you. Because we give you thanks. You are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Would you join with me in saying that? Your steadfast love endures forever? Three times. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Let's respond in thankfulness.